Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Community Church. I'm up here today because uh, I'd like to say a few words about the small group ministry. When you came in this morning, you should have received a questionnaire about it. Actually, the questionnaire is also a sign-up list. We would like to know if you're interested in joining one of the small group ministries this fall. We're going to start on September 11th. We're going to meet at 6.30, either on Sunday or Wednesday night. You'll see all that information on the questionnaire. Um, but there's one thing that's not on there. We are only going to allow you two weeks to turn that form into the office because we need a couple of weeks to figure out the logistics before we start on September 11th. Well, all right, I don't want to take up any more time, but uh, I'll be out in the lobby if you have any questions that aren't answered from the form. Thank you. We are doing things a little different order this morning, but uh, I welcome you here as well. Um, we have a, a, one of our out-of-town, out-of-country missionary families here with us today. They're sitting up, not quite the front row, so they've still got a little bit of Baptist left in them. But uh, Brandon and Michelle Birch and their four kids are here. Uh, we're glad to have them. They're with World Team. We've been supporting them two or three years, something like that. Four? Time goes. Anyway, let's have you guys come up, or you, and talk to us. Thank you. Well, good morning. Got the chance to share with a good number of you during the Sunday school hour, but um, uh, glad to be here once again. And uh, it's a joy for our family to be able to. Uh, visit with you and to get to know you better, all of those that uh, spend so much time praying for us, and it's a huge encouragement to us, so thank you for that. Uh, we have been in France, in northern France, for almost eight years, eight years this fall, um, and we are with an organization called World Team, almost forgot to turn that on, there we are, uh, that is an interdenominational evangelical mission agency that focuses on um, reaching unreached people groups around the world. So we're in about 28 different countries. It's a picture of a recent picture of our family. Uh, my wife, Michelle, Karis, Micah, Asher, and Noam. And here's where we're located. Uh, as I mentioned, in, in northern France. So... Um, you arrive on the, on the plane in Paris, and then you get in a car and you drive about an hour, almost due north, um, from Paris, and that's where we're located. What that means is, once you hit about 20, 30 minutes outside of Paris, is it, it uh, no longer um, looks urban. You, you, you don't see the Eiffel Tower anymore. What you see are wheat fields and canola fields and cows and horses and things like that. It's a very rural community, and it's um, uh, that's the case, the setting that we're in. And then if you zoom in a little bit further, this is the geographical unit uh, that we live and serve in. And it's called Les Sablons. And it's actually a collection of 21 uh, smaller villages uh, that uh, work together to share services, to get their garbage picked up, things like that, keep uh, costs down. Um, and that's, uh, that's where we live, and that's our initial target 
area, our initial demographic. And the reason is uh, the top red circle is where we live. It's in a town called Val Pierre, a small town of uh, 1,000 people, to give you an idea of uh, what our village looks like. And that second red circle, further down, uh, is where a young church plant uh, is located that our teammates started um, about 15 years ago or so. And that's in a town called Meru. And there's about 15,000 people or so. So we were sent to this area uh, primarily with that, that purpose to help this young church plant um, continue the efforts, continue the mission to reach out to the other, uh, to their nation, but starting with these small villages uh, that surround them. And in fact, maybe, maybe half of the congregation actually lives in these other villages. Most of them or half of them don't live in Meru, the city where the church is located. So it's a very natural thing to do, to reach out where you live with your neighbors and your friends. Oops. Um, and so all together in those villages, there's around 40,000 people. Um, and there's that one church plant that we talked about. And so I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, my wife did spent most of her life there as well. And uh, I didn't become a Christian until I was 16. But um, I knew where it wasn't hard to find a church. Um, in fact, we had choices everywhere we turned. Um, if we had one that we didn't like, we could just drive a little bit further down the road and uh, see, see how that one fit. And that's, that's what I grew up in, and that's probably... Not too different from from here, I'm guessing. Um, you have you have lots of choices with, uh, in in situations like this in France and many other places around the world where there's need for more church planning. That's not it's just not the case. So for our neighbors, um, they've got they've got one choice, and if that one doesn't fit, they've got to drive another you know 20 30 minutes out and see if that one fits. If that one doesn't work, you're starting to get the idea. Um, and then when you think about that nationwide, the, popu- uh, the French population is about 1% born-again believers. And so the country's around 66 million, comes out to um, just shy of a million born-again evangelical believers uh, in, the, in the country of France. And so get this scenario in your mind or think back to how you became a believer. How did you come to know the Lord in your life? Um, for me, I can think back to different people that God placed in my life that had an impact on me, uh, that loved on me, that um, just different things, even different events that took place. It's, it's really neat to think about all the things God did to make it happen, to pursue me so that I could come to know him and uh, be redeemed by him. Well, in these places that are um, unreached is the word we use a lot, just mathematically speaking, it's harder for those things to take place because you don't rub shoulders with believers and you don't pass churches on every corner that are trying uh, their best to minister and and reach their communities. And so that's what we mean when we talk about, um, when we talk about the need and really, I could say it differently. The need's the same just about everywhere. There's, there's people that need Jesus here in Memphis, just about anywhere you go. But the, but the opportunity, there's a difference in opportunity um, for, for people to hear the gospel 
to meet people that can impact their lives and help nudge them uh, in, their, in their walk with the Lord. So that gives you just a, a little bit of the overview of where we serve. Um, and in France, um, it's a place, it's a post-Christian society. They've got a rich Christian um, history, um, even, even in the Protestant world. Uh, some of the major thinkers that have shaped a lot of our thinking today originated in France, actually. Um, but the French, for the most part these days, have written that off as something in the past. Yes, that's part of who we are and who we were, but we don't really believe that anymore, and we're not really that interested in it. It doesn't impact our daily lives one way or the other. Um, and so with the people that we meet and work with, um, it's a largely apathetic population. Uh, uh, religion is a very private subject with people in France, and so they're fine with you doing whatever you want in your home, but just keep it there. Don't try to convince me to do something else. Leave me to do what I want in my home. Um, but our goal in everything we do and all the activities we do uh, is to try to uh, bring that French person uh, to the place where they are ready to wrestle with what the Word of God actually says. Because for most French people, 8 out of 10 was a stat I shared earlier this morning. They've never even opened the Bible. They've never even opened it. So they, they've never actually heard or, or looked at it for themselves uh, about these claims about who Jesus is and why God sent him here and why it's so important that he died on the cross and rose again. Um, and so that's, that's what we were sent to do, is to help um, uh, become parts of our community, to build relationships with people in any way possible, uh, looking for these chances to share, them, uh, our, share with them our stories of how God impacted our lives, uh, to, to invite them to look at the word of God with us, and then let them let God lead, let them, let them uh, do the work that he does in our hearts. Uh, so briefly, I know many of you may have seen some of our videos over the last few years or may even receive our updates. Uh, if not, when you, when you uh, walk outside on the two tables there, there's a place to, to give me your email. We'd be glad to add you to our email list for that, and there's some prayer cards out there. But we, this past ministry year, we set out three priorities um, for our project, and I'll use this just as a framework to give you a brief update of what's going on. Uh, one was to um, make advancements, make the next steps in this button factory project that you may have heard of. And so we just recently moved into an old house, and the reason we moved there is because on those grounds is an old button factory that we are now in the works of seeing it renovated so that it can be used um, uh, for churches uh, on Sunday, uh, for sure. Uh, but throughout the week as well, to, to make it into a sort of cultural center um, where we could offer English classes, beginning music classes, um, even um, catechism is something that's real integrated into the Catholic society. And we've been asked before, well, do you offer a Protestant catechism? And we haven't yet, but that does exist, and it might be something that works well there in France. So to be able to offer these um, listing of, of just cultural things that we could offer them, and then also, for those who are interested, a, a list of spiritual things that they could pursue if God were to work in their hearts. So it's just a way of, um, 
hopefully serving the community, meeting some needs that they're, uh, that they're looking to have met, uh, but also just to be that person that crosses paths with people, to be those believers that, that they don't have, to rub shoulders with, to get to know us, and to hopefully sense that something's different about this place, and then we'll be able to explain to them, yeah, that's, that's, that's God's spirit that's in this place. It's, because, it's all because of Jesus. It's all for these opportunities uh, to meet people, to kind of um, get over some of those initial hurdles, some of those walls that they have um, in order to hear the word. And so we've been cleaning out this old building, uh, this old button factory. We have an architect that's been hired to get us started drawing up plans and permits and those things. Um, we hope, uh, God willing, that in one year that um, initial space, uh, there's different phases to the project, but that first uh, space, the open room, will be available for use for some of these activities that I've just described. Uh, the second thing was to enlist more intentional prayer support. And so that's where things like these um, email uh, newsletters, our prayer cards, we would love to have your help uh, in this regard. We've made it a point, uh, especially over this next year, uh, to give uh, more specific updates about these things that we can, um, needs that we can put before you so that you can lift them up with us um, and join us in that, in that effort for prayer. One, to see the projects advance, but even more than that, we need God to prepare hearts. We need him to soften, to soften hearts and to open up eyes, the things that only God can do. And so we covet your prayers in that. We had our first uh, prayer walk in our area, um, the first one that we've organized with our teammates uh, this past spring. And I always say, I, I really don't know, but chances are that's never happened before there. Um, the people have never intentionally walked this particular little village in the middle of nowhere in France to pray for these people. But God knows every single one of them. Um, and he wants to see them come to know him. The third priority, we had the Button Factory Project increase our prayer support. And the third priority for this past year uh, was to launch uh, some sort of um, group meeting in our community. Uh, in this case, we're going to um, attempt uh, this fall an evangelistic Bible study meeting um, in our home. Uh, there's still a lot of details to be worked out, but we're praising the Lord for especially some of what some of the circumstances that brought this together. We felt the time was now. Is there's a French family um, that we've come to know uh, through the basketball club of all of all things. He helps me coach uh, my son's team and his son's team, um, and they. Uh, began asking us questions about where we went to church and what that looked like. And they said they were looking for a place to go to church. So they started uh, attending uh, the church uh, where we, the young church plant that we work with. They said they were, uh, and then we approached them, would you pray about please uh, joining us in this new effort? In our community where we live, we want to offer up something for them here. And they, they agreed. There's a lot of details, as I said, to work out with them. They're fairly um, uh, uh, immature in their faith. I don't mean that um, uh, to be mean by any, any sense, but don't have a, a, a very deep knowledge of the word yet and things like that. Um, so there's things we have to walk with them uh, along those lines. Um, but the thing that is huge is it takes it 
from being just an American thing, an American person trying to tell French people about how they should believe, and now all of a sudden, here's a French family. And say, wait a second, they're saying, this, they're saying the same things. That God has impacted their life as well. And that's really a huge step and something we've been praying about that we want to see uh, as much as possible be able to engage French people in the mission, be able to invest ourselves, um, be able to remove ourselves from the forefront and to platform other people, to, to, to help disciple other people, to take on those roles, to help them impact uh, their country uh, there in France. So those briefly are some of the things uh, that we've been seeing God do this past year. And again, I appreciate your, uh, your prayers, uh, this chance to share with you. We'll be around um, after the service. Uh, if you'd like to come, come meet us and ask us any questions, we'd be glad to do so. But thank you once again. Thanks, Brandon. We appreciate you and Michelle being here with us, and we appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, it's just the way that we're able to reach out and we're able to um, do what the Lord would have us to do is to reach out into the whole world. And you guys are there in that part of the world, you know, and representing us, and we appreciate that. I know it's a challenge. Uh, it's a challenge here in the States as well, <laughs> reaching people for the Lord. I can't imagine what it's like uh, over there in France, but we appreciate the hard work that you're putting into. Uh, well, we're here today. Uh, the choir is up here, and we're kind of, if you notice, we're kind of leaning to the left a little bit. It's because, you know, we got a lot of people over here, and we got, you know, our youth are gone on a retreat today, this week. And so uh, this is, this, and so it's just, we just hope the building doesn't go over to the, to the left there. But anyway, but we're here together, and we're going to worship the Lord. And so uh, let's start that right now. Let's all stand, and let's sing together. Let's crown him with many crowns.
morning. I was telling George I could teach on partial rapture today, 
We've had a rapture of our young people. They're on a retreat up at Ponderosa. And uh, there are a few out on vacation. And so it, it, uh, it just opens up more seats for others to fill. That's kind of how I look at it. And the Lord brings those that he wants every Sunday. And, and it's just a privilege to be able to open God's word. And to see what he has for us. And there's so much to be excited about today as a believer. Because we anticipate the coming of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. As the day approaches, we want to be ready for that. And so I trust that you have thought about that more than just this time. uh, That you've thought about that this week. That our Lord Jesus could come for his church at any moment. And bring us home to Him, uh, to glory, and uh, I trust that is something that we could even pray about, that the Lord would help us to be more disciplined in that thought. And, uh, you know, you look at the Apostle Paul, you look at the Apostle John, I mean, they were anticipating the return of Christ, which for them was life-changing in terms of what they did for the glory of the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you with that this morning, pray for Brian Nichols, he's teaching the youth this weekend, and I know he's going through the gospel, and that's what they need to hear. You cannot preach the gospel enough. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, in writing to the Christians at Rome, he's giving them the gospel. Why? Because they need to hear it. Just like we need to hear it on a regular basis. You know what it does for us? It encourages us. That's what the gospel does. It encourages us that When we come to Christ, we no longer bear sin's penalty. Jesus Christ paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And God, receive all the glory and all the praise uh, this morning. Let's pray uh, together. Fathers, we come to your word this morning. We're going to be reminded that the gospel is about grace and faith. And it's alone in Jesus Christ. Plus nothing else. Salvation is strictly based on the grace of God. Through faith alone in Christ alone. It's something that even in the early church. After Paul and Barnabas and John Mark for a while were on that journey. As they get back. To report all that you had done. They faced a problem in the church. The problem was around the issue of grace. And I pray that you would help us Lord to understand that. While we believe the gospel is a gospel of grace. There are many that do not. And so as we come to. Our time this morning, I pray that you would help us to appreciate more the salvation that is available through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, Father. May he be honored this morning. We pray all this in his glorious name. Amen. I was 16 or 17, and I don't remember the exact age. I think I was going into my senior year. And there was a dispute that rose up in our church. And the dispute concerned law and grace. And it really troubled me. 
as a young teenager to hear that the church was debating the issue of law and grace. And I had a little bit of understanding of that, even as a teenager. And I understood that we were saved by grace. But the question that arose in our church was, how do we live? Do we live by grace? Unfortunately, some were wanting to live by law and not by the Spirit of God. And it was troubling. In fact, there were attacks. Can you imagine that even in a church family, there is dissension and debate that takes place? Uh, when you get people together, you know what's going to happen? There are going to be arguments. When you get families together, what happens at times? There are arguments. And there are some things that we argue about in the family that are just senseless. Wouldn't you say that is true? There are some things, however, that we argue about in families that are very important. That are foundational maybe to the home. And so we stand our ground believing this is what God has said. Um, in the church, it's the same. There's debate and dissension in the church at times. And sometimes there are things that take place in the church that just are not worth arguing about. Like, for example, the color of the carpet or the paint on the wall. We have paint on the wall and there's carpet down. But did you know that in churches there's debate about those types of things? People get their feelings hurt and they'll stand up and they'll walk out and they'll leave. Never to be seen again. But there are some things that take place in churches at times where there's debate and it's important. Where there are things that are worth standing on. What I would call doctrines of the faith that are supremely important in order to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, for example, standing on the deity of Christ. Standing on the humanity of Christ. Standing on the virgin birth of Christ. And as we come this morning to talk about standing on salvation, how is one saved? Isn't that an important question? How is one saved? How does one come to know God? Well, the Bible is clear about it. I believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. You can't add anything to it. You can't add obedience. Is obedience important? Yes. But it fits under the heading of sanctification, not justification. You have some churches that teach that obedience, you must obey in order to be saved, or in order to remain saved. You have some that teach that you must speak in tongues in order to be saved, or you really don't belong to the Lord. And the question becomes for us, even if we've been saved a long time, are we willing to defend the essentials of the faith? Are we willing to dig in our heels and say, Thus saith the Lord. The Lord gave me, years ago, the desire to dig my heels in and stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm going to do. And that's what we're going to do here at Grace. We've been talking about all of this within the context and framework 
of church leadership as it relates specifically to elders. What do elders do? Do they simply get together on a Thursday night and chat for a little bit and go home? What is it that they do? Well, according to the Bible, the expectation of the Lord for those that lead his church, and remember we said all of this is under the guardianship of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd. And so we are under him as leaders. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 13, remember, obey your leaders and submit to them. And then he tells us why. And that word for is because. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Every single leader will stand before the Lord and give an account for the way they led. Can you imagine what that will be like? This is a sobering, if you will, responsibility that leadership has when it comes to leading the church. There's no getting around what God says in terms of the responsibility of elders and of deacons in the church. And if you look in the context of 1 Timothy 3, Paul says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's the church. Right after he's just described by definition elders and deacons, he says the church of God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. You should expect that the elders and the deacons at grace stand on the truth. No matter what reproach that might bring. Because it does. You'll have sometimes people say, well, does that really matter? I mean, aren't there many ways to God? What happens when you're out and you're with your friends and and you're maybe with family members who don't believe and they say, ah, there's many ways to God. How do you approach that as a believer in Christ? Is that important? Absolutely it is. And do you know that you, listen, you get encouragement. This is important for you to hear. You get encouragement as a believer in Christ, being part of this fellowship, when you see your leadership standing on the truth of the gospel of Christ. And so, the author of Hebrews says, they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And so last week we began to look at kind of what do elders guard? We'll spend two or three weeks more on this. What do elders guard? You receive every year a ballot, and on that ballot there's an opportunity for you to nominate elders and deacons. You aren't nominating the best-looking guys, all right? You're not nominating the tallest men or the shortest men. You're nominating men who you have examined in terms of their spiritual life and their walk. Does that make sense? That's what the Bible says. The qualifications are given to us in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And the Lord doesn't just want us to say, well, we need some new blood on that elder board. We need qualified blood on that elder board. Perfect men? No. So wipe wipe that out. There's not perfection. But these are men who have a desire. Right? That's what the Bible tells us. They have a desire to shepherd. That's the first thing it says. They have a desire to do that. 
And I can tell you as a shepherd, do you know who puts that desire in you? The Spirit of God. Because I promise you, if it was up to me 30 years ago, I would have said, man, Lord, I don't know about this. And I would be looking for a way out. Get me out of here. This is hard stuff. And it is. It's hard shepherding. Because you're shepherding sheep. I, was, I handed a note the first Sunday I started at Springville Road Community Church as senior pastor. And that note read, sheep stink and most of the time. I'm one of the sheep, and I stink at times. It's hard to shepherd people. Sheep need guarding. They need direction. And that almost sounds, I think if I was sitting where you are, that almost sounds demeaning. But can I tell you this, that the Lord providentially gave to his church leadership. He set up a structure. And the elders here at Grace have in mind to do as under shepherds of the chief shepherd, we have in mind to do what God wants us to do. And we're going to use this book as our guidepost to walk through the Christian life with you side by side. We have that responsibility. It's a great responsibility. So as you come to nominate this month and you Put your names in that box. Please, please, no. No, two things. Number one, the responsibility to pray intently about what you see in that individual that makes them, a shep- makes them an elder, makes them a deacon. You need to see if a person you nominate for elder, he needs to be a shepherd. You need to be able to say, he is actively shepherding the people of God at grace. And if he's a deacon, he's actively serving the people of God. Grace. But so there's intent prayer about that issue. But there's also, secondly, I think the importance, the importance of praying through. Lord, help me to see. Help me to see. Not just writing down a name, but praying through that. Well, as you come to do that, as your responsibility... One of the things that you need to know about elders is that they guard the truth. That's the responsibility of the elders to guard the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. S. Lewis Johnson, back in the 1960s, this is, I shared this with you last week, but it's been seven days, so here we go. He says, The most serious issue facing the church is the debate surrounding the gospel. That was in the 1960s. You know, there was debate in the gospel here in Acts 15. I want you to take your Bibles and go there. Acts 15. There's a debate surrounding the gospel. As S. Lewis Johnson put here, the question is, how is one saved? How does one come to be saved? Um, I wanted to give you an illustration kind of to help you understand the importance of guarding the truth, and I showed you this last week. This is a statement from our Constitution. This is what we say here at Grace about salvation. We believe that salvation is the gift of grace by the work of the Holy Spirit, freely bestowed upon all who put their faith 
in the finished work of Jesus Christ apart from human meritorious works. That's what we teach. That's what we believe. So it's not grace plus something else. It's grace. We believe that the avenue to salvation is grace and faith. Um, I want us to appreciate what is going on here in Acts 15. Because just as I believe, like S. Lewis Johnson said in the 1960s, I believe that issue is still going on today. I think there is a debate around the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's hard for people to get their minds around the fact that it's just grace. Certainly there must be something I must do apart from faith in Christ alone. There has to be something else. Aren't you glad it's not anything else? Aren't you glad it's not salvation by grace through faith plus works? How do you know when you've done enough if it's plus works? How do you know you're even in the right category if it's plus works? How do you know that what you're doing is making a difference so that when you stand before God, you stand righteous? Isn't it great to know that our salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, and when we are saved, the righteousness of Jesus Christ covers me. And he covers you. And when the Father sees Thad Blunt and he sees you that are saved, he sees his son. It's his son that's righteous. And so this issue is not just an issue in the 1960s or an issue that's current. This issue started all the way back. The first missionary journey, as we have it recorded, after that journey... They come back to report Paul and Barnabas. Remember John Mark kind (laughs) of took off. By the way, just a side note for John Mark. If you read 2 Timothy, Paul says, bring John Mark with you for he's useful to me now. Guys, you know what that tells me? Don't give up on believers who walk off the trail for a bit. Pray for them. Pray for them. Because I, I have met many, many believers who walked off the trail at times who needed that encouragement to get back on the trail. And, and it is such an encouragement to me to be able to read Second Timothy and know that that took place in John Mark's life. So they come to the end of this journey and they are going to give a report about all that God had done in their midst in saving people. But as they went on that first missionary journey... People that were getting saved, some of those people were Gentiles. Is that a great thing? Yeah, it's a great thing. I want to review with you just a little bit this morning before we get to chapter 15. Um, This map. This map is, uh, can you see that pretty all right? gives you an idea of where Paul and Barnabas started in Antioch of Syria. And they went, as you can follow the arrows yourself, they went on that first missionary journey. And they ended up in the southern part of the Galatia region, uh, ministering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had all types of different encounters. You can read about that. I'm going to read some of that in just a moment. 
But one of the things that takes place, and there's a little bit of debate about this surrounding the date of the Galatian letter that Paul wrote versus when the Jerusalem council took place. Um, Some really good theologians believe that Paul wrote his letter to the Galatian regions before the council of Jerusalem. Uh, John Walbert and others believe that. Some believe that um, it was written after, uh, subsequent to the Jerusalem council uh, that we have recorded here in Acts 15. I think one of the big issues, though, is you go to Galatian, uh, Galatians, you read about the fact that Paul is writing back to these folks here in the Galatia region who were saved but who were being influenced by Judaizers, those who were wanting to add to the gospel of grace, those who had come to faith in Christ and um, who were definitely believers, but they were being influenced. Um, the Judaizers were wanting to add to the gospel of grace, as I'm sure you're quite familiar with. And so one of the things that happens in the book of Galatians in chapter 2 is there's this account that Paul gives about having to confront even Peter. Because Peter was wanting to compromise. And Paul gets on to him. I mean, it's pretty brutal if you read chapter 2 in the book of Galatians. He gets right in his face about the potential compromise. You can't sit on the fence, Peter. It's either a gospel of grace, right? Or it's a gospel of grace plus works. And Paul's like, no, you can't add anything to it. And if anyone could write with authority, it would have been the Apostle Paul, correct? He was a Pharisee. He understood the mind of a Pharisee. So... Nonetheless, no matter the dating, whether you believe it's before or after, the issue was at hand about the gospel. I want to go back and show you this. I had that out of order. Because this kind of sets up, if you will, the serious nature of it. I kind of lean to the fact that Paul wrote this before the Jerusalem Council. And it's based on the fact that when Peter stands up, as you're going to see in Acts 15, he stands up with authority defending the gospel of grace. That's just my viewpoint. But I want to show you the serious issue here. How serious was it that the Judaizers were influencing these new believers? Notice what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by what? The grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which is really not another. There's only one gospel. it it's the gospel of grace so no matter what man may say there's only the gospel of grace paul says only there are some who are disturbing you that word there you know that is a i love doing word studies that word disturbing means agitating it means to be troubled the same word used there is used when the Lord Jesus in his ministry is walking on the water toward the disciples and the Bible says they are troubled. Same word. Well, you'd be troubled too if somebody's walking out on the water to you. You've never seen that before. These guys were, they were troubled. They were frightened. They were disturbed. That's the idea of that word. So this is a huge deal that's going on in this Galatian region. Only there are some who are disturbing you, troubling you, and want to distort the gospel of grace. You know, guys, that's not a new thing, and it's going on today. 
There are people who are being disturbed. Souls are being disturbed because they're sitting in churches and they're listening to the gospel of grace, but then they listen to another pastor on the radio during the week. This is what happens. And they hear beyond grace and they go, oh my goodness, what's going on? You know, just as an illustration, and, and I hope this doesn't discourage you, I'm trying to encourage you to be discerning. Be careful who you listen to. careful. The Bereans, remember their testimony was what? They examined the scriptures. So when you turn on that radio or you turn on that TV to listen to the latest and greatest preacher, make sure that that latest and greatest preacher is standing on the gospel of grace. And you'll know if you're discerning. I was talking with an individual pastor several months ago and he was sharing with me, he said, Dad, you know what the most difficulty I'm having in the church today? And I said, tell me. He said, my members listening to so many different people. Nothing wrong with listening to different pastors and teachers. But shouldn't we have the mind that when we're listening to these other pastors and teachers, that we're discerning the truth of the gospel? That we're discerning. Because there are so many that add to the gospel of grace. And I know some people locally who attend churches and they're attending these churches and these churches explain the gospel but they add to the gospel. And so we need to be careful. You know, we have children and grandchildren. They grow up and they go off to different churches. Let's encourage them to examine, to see what's being taught. All right, well, look what he goes on to say. He says... Paul says to these Galatian Christians, he says, but even if we... Now, it's one thing to put other people in there, but it's another thing to include yourself. He says, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be anathema. That's the word. Destroyed. Pretty big deal. That's strong. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to... To what you received, he is to be destroyed. He says, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Peter had a problem. That's why Paul had to approach him. Peter wanted the favor of men. Paul approaches him and says, hey, look, this can't be. Chapter 2, you read it. He says, am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And so that's some of that context as we come into Acts 15 and we think about the missionary journey that took place. Now I want to show you the consistency that Paul and Barnabas had leading up to Acts 15. I want you to begin with me. We're not going to read all of the chapters, but I want you to begin with me in chapter 13. I want you to see in Acts 13 the initial call that was made in the life of Paul and Barnabas Notice verse 2. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Who's involved here in the life of Paul and Barnabas in calling them out? The Spirit of God. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by who? The Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. 
And so it's very important from the very get-go that we understand this is not just some random thing done by Paul and Barnabas and John and Mark initially, but this was the Holy Spirit of God who was directing their steps of ministry. As I was thinking about that this last week, I was like, you know, Lord, here you took Paul and you took Barnabas and you set them aside and you, you, you committed, committed them to the, to the work of the ministry. And I got to thinking about the way people think today. That pastors and teachers and missionaries are the ones that are only called and set apart to do the work of the ministry. And I thought how sad that is because that's not true. Did you know the Bible tells us in Ephesians that we are to equip the saints for the what? Work of the ministry. So I have some fantastic news for you today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been set apart by the Spirit of God to minister. You're all in the ministry. And do you know that we're all in the ministry all the time? So when we're out at our job, when you go tomorrow, you need to think this. I'm in the ministry. Now we know this was a formal calling the Lord had in their life. I'm talking about generally that all of us have a ministry. So you have a ministry at work. You have a ministry at school. Students, aren't you so excited school is about to start? Hallelujah. You have a ministry at school. Did you know that? Because the majority of your classmates don't go to church anymore. Even in the city of Birmingham. How many of you, when you leave your neighborhood on a Sunday morning, are amazed at the number of people that are not doing anything as it relates to going to church anymore? That's a thing of the past. More people stay home. Less people know Christ. So we need to have the mindset that we're all in the ministry. Well, the Lord had specifically called them to the ministry. And so they start out on their journey. And I want you to go down... Uh, with me, uh, several verses. Go down to verse 36. So, Paul and Barnabas are on their missionary journey, and they come to Pisidian Antioch. And as, as they teach in the synagogues, they're reading the law and the prophets, we're told earlier in the chapter. And then he, he's going through the history of Israel, and he comes to the point where he's talking about Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, verse 30. But then in verse 36, he contrasts David with Christ. He says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. He died and was laid among his fathers and underwent, what's the next word? Okay. But he whom God raised... Who was that? Jesus, verse 30, did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, because he's alive, he's alive. We serve a risen Savior. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, through who? The one that's alive, Jesus Christ, through him, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Who does not like to hear that? Any sinners in this room? 
What's Paul's conclusion in Romans chapter 3? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Through him, verse uh, 39, everyone who believes is what? Justified. It's freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. You could not be free through the law of Moses, but you can be be free through belief alone in Christ alone. Do we say amen to that? Absolutely, amen. Aren't you glad that it's not grace plus 613 laws? I can't keep one. You can't either. I'm thankful for grace. As I read through this, I was like, man, how much fun would it have been for Paul, who was a Pharisee, to go out and preach the gospel of grace? Wow. So he says, verse 39, through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Go down to verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Yes, sir, I like this message. I like this message of grace. Keep preaching this message. By the way, one of the things I was thinking through as I was preparing for this morning is I think we could do a little bit more in faithfully presenting the gospel of grace. And I'm talking to myself first. Man, what a great, wonderful message we have for people that Jesus paid it all. That he paid the sin debt. How much fun were these guys having? Some of it was tough. We know that. Because at one point, Paul stoned and left for dead. But as Paul and Barnabas were going out, verse 42 says, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken in the next Sabbath. Verse 43, now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes Followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them were urging them to do what? Continue in the law of Moses. Is that what it says? No, to continue in the grace of God. This grace is just, it's, it's, it's like, wow. We know what grace means, right? It's undeserved favor. We don't deserve the favor of God. Whew. So they're urging them to continue in the grace of God. Look what it says, verse 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. (laughs) How much fun is that? The gospel was progressing. It was the gospel of grace. And nearly the whole city shows up. Boy, you'd love to just see revival in the United States, wouldn't you? Or whole groups of people would show up to hear the gospel of grace. And guys, you know what? We have the message. We need to pray the Lord will give us the platform. You know, we need to have a big vision. Lord, give us the platform so that we can sit, uh, talk to the people of Birmingham about the gospel of grace. So the whole city nearly assembles. It says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul. And they were blaspheming. Verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said that it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it 
and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Aren't you glad we've been grafted in? And when the Gentiles heard this, they had doom and gloom on their face. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, they did what? They believed. Chapter 14, verse 1. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and Greeks. So Jews and Gentiles alike. Verse 19, but Jews from Antioch and Iconium, uh, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Why were they stoning him? To shut him up. This gospel of grace, they wanted to shut him up. The Bible says, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. (laughs) The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. He didn't stop doing what he had been commissioned to do. Verse 21. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium. And to Antioch. What were they doing? Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Listen to me. That's one of the reasons that we come here on a Sunday morning is so that we are strengthened. We need to be strengthened and encouraged. Guys, I want to encourage you that God has a ministry for you out there every single day to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to your friends and to your relatives. Those people that you don't know. I've got two men in my life that I've been praying about that the Lord would open that door of opportunity for the gospel. I'll be honest, I'm kind of at a crossroads, and it's difficult. I'm, I'm having a hard time deciding, because I don't see him a lot at all. I'm having a hard time deciding, how, Lord, do you want me to do this? And on the one hand, I'm going to run up against a man who's very intellectual. He graduated from an elite university. And while he's told me in the past that he respects my, my, my place as a Christian, he said, it's just a bunch of baloney. How do you approach that person? And I have another guy who's just a regular guy, and yet I don't believe he knows the Lord. Nice guy, give you the shirt off his back. But just because you give the shirt off your back to somebody doesn't mean you're saved. But shouldn't we be thinking along those lines? My point is, shouldn't we be thinking about, hey, Lord, who is it that you want me to share with? Well, we're strengthened, right, to those things as we assemble together. And so Paul and Barnabas, they go back to these places, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them. That word means to come alongside of them, to continue in the faith. This is their message. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. If anyone knew tribulation and trials and struggles, it was Paul. When they appointed elders, look at that. When they had appointed elders for them in every church. Why do you appoint elders in churches? To shepherd the people. To guard the sheep. To lead them spiritually. 
And it says, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Again, faith alone by grace alone in Christ alone. And they passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed back to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. Look at verse 27. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to who? The Gentiles. Listen to me. This was a pep rally. This is exactly what this was. They got the church together to have a pep rally and say, look what God has done. The Bible says here that God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Well, here we come to chapter 15. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Problem? Problem. Unless you obey, believer, if you're not obeying the Lord, then you're not saved. You hear that today. I don't know about you, but at times I'm disobedient. You ever disobedient? Listen, there's a big difference, and this is a big confusion in the church. There is the heading of justification. And the question under, under there is, how is a man justified? How is a man justified? By grace through faith, plus nothing. And when you are justified, that's a moment in time when, the, when, when God's Spirit enters you and Jesus Christ covers you. And guess what? The Bible tells us in Ephesians that we are sealed by the Spirit of God until when? The day of redemption. So no one can take that position that you have in Christ away from you no one nothing can do that nothing and aren't we glad have you seen a believer that hasn't finished well in their Christian life I have well I don't know if they were saying they were just living a life of disobedience wrong heading wrong heading when you come to faith in Christ, you are placed in Him forever. You belong to Him. Now, there is the second category called sanctification. But as I have observed in the last 30 years in the church, there's some blurring of those lines. And I think there's confusion. That's my opinion. You have yours, I have mine. That's my opinion. My opinion is that the lines have been blurred so that obedience, lordship, is one of those issues that people struggle with. I don't struggle with lordship because it's under the heading of sanctification, not justification. But there are some who struggle with that. And it's, a, it's an intense struggle. And their mind is, if I don't persevere to the end, meaning I'm not obedient to the end and live my life for the Lord to the end, then I'll, I, I may not go to heaven. Now, if you're sitting out there, that's disturbing, is it not? Because either salvation is based on grace 
through faith alone and Christ alone, plus nothing, or it's plus something. And the church, I believe, unfortunately, I don't know that it's really um, intentional, but unfortunately, I think the lines have been blurred, and books have been written, and messages have been spoken, and these lines are blurred, and instead of it being um, lordship under the heading of sanctification, it's under the heading of justification, and so you have people worried to death about that issue. Well, I look at what's going on at the Jerusalem Council, and I go, well, they're just wanting to add to the gospel of grace. In fact, when you get down, what is it, to verse 5? But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying it is necessary to circumcise them, to direct them to observe the law of Moses. I have no doubt that they were sincere in that. They were believing Pharisees. They were sincere in what they are saying. They're having a hard time wrapping their minds around these Gentiles being converted by grace alone. Like, hold on a second. You know, we've had all this for centuries, and now all of a sudden it's grace? Well, I'll be honest with you that for years I didn't struggle with that lordship thing. But then there came a time in my Christian life where I was like struggling with it. And I was reading books and I was listening to sermons and I'm like, man, troubling. In fact, I called a pastor friend of mine in Louisiana who pastored me for just a little while. And I talked to him about it. And he said, Thad, you know what? I went down the same trail you did. And I got to a point where I came to understand that I had made lordship, obedience, right, a requirement for salvation in my mind. That somehow that was a requirement. And he said, I had to turn from that. The Lord helped me to turn from that. Listen, I know a lot of people like reading different authors who have that lordship salvation over their head, so to speak. I get that. But I think the big issue that we have to come to is justification, how is a man justified, and then sanctification. What does the Lord want from us in our life of sanctification? Obedience. He wants us to live under his rule and under his reign. Do you agree with that? But I don't, listen, my salvation is not based on lordship. When I come to Jesus Christ as Savior, you know who he is? He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what I come to understand as I grow in my relationship to him? He wants to be the Lord of my life. He wants that. Um, It's a very difficult subject. I understand that. I appreciate that. But my personal viewpoint is that that issue alone has caused a little bit of unsettling in the church. And there's been a little bit of debate, I'd say. A little bit of dissension, I'd say, within the family of God. I believe everybody that's on both sides of those issues probably belong to the Lord for sure. But there is just this, this tension that exists. No different than here. There was tension that existed. In fact, there was tension, remember I mentioned it earlier, there was tension that existed between Paul and Peter. Well, who were they? Oh, there's two dudes. No, no, no. One hung out with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the other got to as well, right? 
And so both of those guys came to faith in Christ. And both of those guys had the responsibility to lead the church. This was a huge issue. And so when you get to Galatians 2, and you see that Paul was willing to confront Peter about this very issue of grace, you have to stand back and go, Thank you, Lord, for giving him, right? The gumption by your spirit to walk through those doors as a former Pharisee and say, hey, look, it's only grace. It's only grace. It's nothing else. Well, let's continue. Uh, Verse 2. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and who? The elders. Concerning this issue. So this is a big deal. They're bringing the apostles into it. They're bringing the elders into it. Verse 3 tells us, Therefore being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia, which is mostly modern day Lebanon. Okay? A little bit north of Israel. It was Gentile territory. And Samaria, which was kind of half and half. You had Gentiles, you had Jews. Uh, It's modern day. The central port at Central part, excuse me, of the West Bank. Describing in detail. So this is what they're doing. Is they're going describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And what was that causing? Joy. It says, and we're bringing great joy to all the brethren. And so when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. I love the consistency of this throughout this language here as Luke writes that it's all about what the Lord was doing. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. It's a big deal. Okay? It's at a crossroads in the early church right after that first missionary journey. Then it says, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them. And this is why I believe that my leaning is that Paul had already had his time with Peter. <laughs> and um, Peter, because you see Peter, he's, I mean, he's straightforward and he's standing on the truth as he, as he speaks. He says, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. What's he talking about? Acts chapter 10. Cornelius. You remember in Acts 10? All right. And the Bible tells us Cornelius and his family came to faith. This is what he's talking about. All right. He says, verse 8, And God, who knows the heart... I want to pause on that for just a second. God knows those that belong to him. I want to say this right. I ask the Lord to help me. I've been praying I'd say this right. God who knows the heart. I don't know the heart. I think one of the things that we really need to think through as believers is when we see a professing believer walking in a way that they should not, we need to pray in one of two ways. 
We need to pray that they would be obedient and turn. Right? Obey and turn. And we need to pray for our own selves. That we would walk in the faith ourselves. That we'd be concerned about our own testimony. Sometimes I think, and I know this might sound harsh, I don't mean it that way, but I think sometimes it's possible that we could be more concerned about the person next to us first than our own selves. I hope that came out right. I'm trying to say it in a way that's loving. Because what I see a lot in the 21st century church is a lot of judging. A lot of judging. I think we need to pray for those people that we're concerned about. I can tell you this because she won't care. She's my sister. My sister, when she was young, I believe she got saved. I really do. And um, the last few months, the Lord has been turning her to him. There were years where I would say, no. But you know, yesterday I'm going into Winn-Dixie, trying to decide what I want to eat. And I had this, just call my sister. So I called my sister. And in the midst of the conversation, she starts talking about the Lord. And she said, Thad, you know, I think the Lord's coming soon. Is that the right number? Who are we talking to? I mean, it's one of those conversations that I hadn't had with her in I don't know when. You know how encouraged I was? Beyond belief. She said, Thad, you can't help but see the signs. I'm like, hey. And then I thought about this. I thought about the commitment that my parents made when we were children to pound that gospel into us. And if my sister were standing right here, she could share the gospel with you. You know, one of the things I think that happens, and it's a tragedy in the church, people get saved, and then sometimes they're just left alone. Hope you grow, okay? Well, you know what people need? They need encouragement to grow. We just read about that. Paul went back to those cities doing what? Encouraging those people, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Well, again, it's 12 o'clock. Um, I didn't say it too loud, did I? It's 12 o'clock. I'm done with two more things. I, I can't go the rest of the way. Um, I will next week. And God who knows the heart, look at this, testified to them. Look what, look what Peter says. Giving them who? The Holy Spirit. What happens at salvation? The Holy Spirit enters you. And look what he said. I love the order. Giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did us. And he made no distinction between us and them. Look at this. And this is what we all love to circle. Cleansing their hearts by what? Faith. We'll pick up verse 10 next week. I want to share this story with you. I was reading this week. I like going back to like World War I, World War II, just reading different things. So I'm reading this, this um, article about trenches. That sounds probably boring to you guys, but I wasn't bored with it. I like to find out 
kind of what set different wars apart. Well, in World War I, trenches were a big deal. The Germans dug trenches. The Americans dug trenches. And so I'm reading about this guy named Albert Tattersall. He writes this letter to his family. And you know in the letter what he talks about? Primarily, trenches. He starts the letter by saying it's really cold. And it's always really sloppy. And he says, and I find that most of the time what we're doing is digging. He said, your shovel is your friend. And he said, the most eerie times were at night. But some of the most relaxful times were at night. And this is what he said. At night, he said it would be so quiet that when you were in your trench digging, you could hear the enemy in their trench digging. And he said, one's trying to get lower than the other. I read that letter and I'm like, whoa, man. I got to thinking, you know, we need to dig our heels in and stand firm on the gospel. And we don't need to move. No matter what the enemy may present, we're going to dig our trench and say, Lord, we believe that, yes, salvation is by grace alone and faith alone through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray uh, together, all right? Well, Lord, I thank you for the time this morning and even as we're going into a couple of minutes into the afternoon. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we can stand on your, your gospel. Lord, I always want the way that I come across to be a way that's um, loving and um, concerning, and yet, Lord, I... I truly believe as I've been digging through all this stuff that that we are at a real critical time. That people do need the gospel just like they did back when Paul and Barnabas went out and shared. When they got back, they're so excited about what was going on and, and they run right into problems that were going on in the church. And even we're told in Galatians that Peter had to be rebuked by Paul. And, and be set straight. And those are hard things to read. Hard things to kind of swallow. But we recognize, Lord, that um, Paul and Peter and James and others had the responsibility to guard the truth of the gospel. And I just pray that we would have it in our minds that not only did the elders have that responsibility and the deacons have that responsibility, but your church has that responsibility to protect the gospel of grace. Thank you, Lord, that we don't sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, and add words like amazing grace and works, amazing grace and circumcision, but we just say amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It truly is a gospel of grace, and we're so thankful. I pray, Lord that we would not only dig our heels in when it comes to the gospel of grace, but that we would dig our heels in when it comes to living by grace. That we would live by the grace of the Lord Jesus. We would not abuse that. And Paul said, hey, may it never be. We don't want to abuse 
the grace that you've given. We want to be led by your Spirit. And just as Paul wrote to the Galatian churches, having begun by the Spirit, are you so foolish to be led by the flesh? Or I pray that we would, we would stand firm in the grace of the Lord Jesus. I thank you for those that are here today. I pray, Father, as you um, allow us to leave the building, that we would look for opportunities to share the gospel. I do pray for the youth as they're coming back this afternoon. I pray it's been an effective time. You've blessed Brian and the other leaders as they led the youth, as the gospel was presented. We just commit the rest of our day to you. May we honor you in the things that we say and the things that we do. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. I want you to do something for me. I want you to stand up, and I want you to find somebody you can say hello to before you leave this afternoon at 12.05.